Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. This episode is the second of four special EG Property Podcasts that take a look at the lessons learned out of the forced changes we've all had to make during the coronavirus pandemic. Today I'm joined by experts from Grosvenor, Knight Frank, Evora Global, Hertfordshire IQ and the BBP to understand why when a global crisis struck in 2008, sustainability quickly got pushed down the agenda by businesses with the excuse that there just wasn't the available cash to spend on being green. And why when a global pandemic struck this year, the opposite happened. Over the next 45 minutes or so, we talk about everything from the expiration of excuses, the alignment of ideals, the commercial argument for action to the motivational power of taking action. So, you know what to do. Sit back with your cuppa, lace up your trainers for a little outdoor time with your favourite podcast, or however else you like to consume your regular EG hour or treat, and enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to the second of our Tales of the Unexpected podcast. In this uh, Tales of the Unexpected, we are talking about all things ESG. We're talking about how sustainability has not become a victim of, of the downturn that has has come with the COVID pandemic and and how it's actually been powered up, which for for this pestim- pessimistic journalist is the ultimate in unexpected tales. So very shortly, I'm going to hand over to our panel just to introduce themselves and give us their view on why we think that the industry's commitment to sustainability has been powered up throughout this very strange and very weird time. So without further ado, I'm going to pass first to Tor to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your view as, as to why sustainability has moved up the agenda, not down. Thank you so much, Sam. So hi, everyone. My name's Tor Burrows and I'm from Rovner. So I look after our sustainability and innovation team. So I'm responsible to ensure we deliver against our green goals, so our environmental outcomes and driving forward a more innovative culture in our business to ensure our business and our places are fit for the future. In answer to Sam's question about the sustainability being dialed up, I think you know the pandemic has brought the whole view of planetary living and planetary boundaries into focus for all of us, you know, for businesses, for for individuals, and for politics, for for politicians. Sorry, and I think it's forced us to take a step back and you know really reflect on actually how humans have abused our planet its processes and wildlife and although there are initiatives that many people have been working on for a while you know nine months on we see a wave of momentum around environmental and social activism that has become much more mainstream and I think would have taken much longer to come to the fore without the pandemic so particularly for for businesses I think the the momentum has really shifted whether that's demand for investors but also reputationally you know because it has become more mainstream it's it's no longer palatable reputationally for companies not to be socially responsible um and that's a big change and just just finally touching on on the role of the landlord I think the the role of the landlord in communities has also changed as a result of the pandemic you know gone are the days where being a passive landlord that sits back and and collects rent is acceptable you know we're really seeing a, a transition to a partnership approach and one based on on mutual success for our tenants and our communities and I think the pandemic has provided the perfect backdrop for those businesses and landlords that really take this seriously to to step up and and support their communities and I I personally think that that's a great thing for for us um, and for the industry to see. Fantastic great points Tor and I love the I love that idea that this is no no longer palatable I think that is bang on bang on the money as they say. Um, next, I'm going to pass over to David. Please um, introduce yourself and tell us why you think that um, this has moved up the agenda. Hi, thank you, and uh, thanks for 
uh, inviting me to be part of it. Um, so I'm David Goatman. I head up our energy sustainability and natural resources um, practice um, and overall team at, at Knight Frank, who are a, um, a large real estate services company and investment manager. Um, why, why has uh, it, it moved up the agenda? Um, I think I'd echo some of what Tor, Tor just said about um, reappraisals across the real estate sector of what it means to um, own buildings and um, what it means to uh, provide the services to occupiers that landlords provide um, and also the acceleration impact of what the last um, nine months has had upon trends that were already uh, going at a pretty good speed already but but which have been um, rapidly increased um, over the last few months and um, you know a lot of the work that I do is across um, lot, lots of different uh, I suppose sectors within real estate working with occupiers working with landlords we've got quite a large land and rural business so um, working with um, clients in that in that space as well and there's, there's complete um, dominance, I would say, almost of, of the things that some of us have been working for for a number of years around um, ESG and the principles of, of what we're trying to achieve with more sustainable places, um, which is which is great. And I think, you know, to say probably something quite simplistic, it, it seems that a lot of the key stakeholders in the sector are aligned or closer to being aligned than ever before with some key objectives and whether that be around net zero or uh, being in healthier buildings that promote well-being with a uh, particular focus on that post post pandemic or during the pandemic it just seems that there's a coalescing around um, these uh, key principles and themes from occupiers landlords investors sources of capital sovereign funds pension funds uh, and also um, the, the speeding up impact of the pandemic. So um, it, it just feels like a, a kind of point when lots of things have all come together and, mm. and, um, and, and hard to pinpoint one single thing as being the main determinant, but many things coming together. Fantastic. Thanks, thanks, David. I think you're right. There's been so much that has brought so many people together and so many um, positive things out of out of this this moment that have aligned as you as you say to 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 sort of force that change i suppose so next uh around the table although there is no table uh i'm going to pass to sherry uh sherry introduce your yourself and let us know your views on um, why sustainability is is staying high on the agenda thank you sam so yes uh, hello everyone i'm sherry norris i work for hertfordshire local enterprise partnership and i lead the Hertfordshire IQ uh, Enterprise Zone Initiative, which is uh, creating a, a, a cluster of smart construction uh, businesses. Um, and uh, sustainability runs through everything we're doing uh, in terms of sort of the business growth and, and how we're developing new commercial space through the Enterprise Zone sites. So we're seeing it from a number of different angles, but I think it really has this, this situation um, with the pandemic really has kind of brought uh, as, as David was saying, a number of factors into uh, alignment. Uh, and we are seeing um, sustainability at the top of the agenda on many fronts. Um, it, it sort of brought together this sort of interest from society around environment and social purpose and social responsibility. Um, and I think there, there is, you know, aligned with what Tor was saying earlier, that it, it's not enough for organisations just to pay lip service to this now. Um, there is an expectation that that is backed up with action. Um, and I think what's been interesting to see is that, um, you know, the, the profit aspect of it hasn't been the barrier now. I think historically it was quite easy to sort of say, well, it's not cost efficient to take these approaches. And, and we're absolutely seeing that those types of arguments um, really, really don't stand up in the way that they once did. And, and the sort of methods, materials and approaches um, that, um, that are now available to help move to a more sustainable built environment do mean that there is sort of viability around that from, from a commercial perspective. So the timing of, of that recognition from um, industry alongside the, the push 
Um, uh, however, this pandemic has sort of led us to that point. We are at that point. Um, and so we are absolutely see, seeing this as, as really high on the agenda and that people are, are acting upon it now, which is, is really encouraging. Excellent. Thanks, Sherry. I definitely want to come back to that idea that, um, you know, the, the profit and cost isn't isn't a barrier anymore, because I think that's 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 really interesting, particularly in these these times. Um, but for, for now, I'm going to pass over to Sonny. Sonny, say hello and um, give us your views. Hi, I'm sorry if I sound at all distracted because our new puppy has just decided that now would be the perfect time to strip the Christmas tree of decoration. <laughs> um, Hello everyone, um, my name is Sonny Macero. I am Chief Strategy Officer at Evora Global. Um, and in answer to your question, Sam, I think, I, well, first of all, I think ESG is obviously a, a rather broad term. And I, I wouldn't say that um, all, the response to all ESG issues is moving at the same pace. What I would say is that I'm gonna focus on one particular topic, which is climate risk as a topic that definitely isn't is seeing a lot of momentum behind it um, but there are differences I mean I, I think we have seen an awful lot of capital flow into ESG funds uh, over the last year and at a much faster rate into into them a much faster rate than we've seen into other in more traditional uh, funds we've also seen that I think it's about a trillion gone into funds this year I think there's also been about a trillion dollars gone into or been issued as green bonds as well. And I think if you follow that money, you start to understand why this issue is not going away, particularly climate risk. Um, and it's because I think the science is much clearer than it ever has been. We are much clearer about what needs to be done over the next 10 years, let alone through to 2050. And that momentum has been building ever since well, for a long time, but ever since the Paris Agreement more recently. And behind the scenes, Mark Carney and others have been led, le kind of leading a quiet revolution within the financial services com community to get climate risk factored into every financial decision. And that's cascading down. Anybody that's looking for capital at the moment, if they want to reach the broadest audience of investors, they need to be taking ESG seriously. Um, and climate risk, I think, is at the top of many investors' agendas, although we've just done a piece, a, a global strategy piece of work uh, for one major real estate investor. Um, and we undertook interviews around the world and there were marked regional differences in terms of geography. Um, and obviously, climate change is, is number one ESG is the number one ESG issue in Europe. Uh, I wouldn't say that's the same in North America, where diversity and inclusion uh, are is arguably much higher up the agenda and being given more attention by the SEC. And then if you look to, to Asia, again, you might get a different perspective, one that may be more focused on health, particularly related to air quality. But I think Asia is actually seeing the, the kind of fastest marked change in uh, investors' attitudes to ESG um, than, than anywhere else. I mean, it's been, been top of the agenda in the UK and, and Europe for a while, but uh, in Asia, I think attitudes have really changed over the last 12 months. Um, and perhaps under the new administration in the US, we might see a marked change there too. That's really interesting about the geographic differences. And, and we should definitely delve into that a little bit bit more. And yeah, it will be interesting to see if um, if things change in, in the States with the with the recommitment to the um, uh, the Paris Agreement as as well in with the, a new better president uh taking taking over but thank thanks sonny for that um last but by no means least uh, i'm going to hand over to sarah who i don't know if she has an animal that is um ripping anything down as well i know there is usually an animal in the background <laughs> thanks sam um yeah there's usually a cat who uh chooses to lie on the laptop mostly while I'm recording something, uh, but she's not here today. Um, so good afternoon, everyone. I'm Sarah Ratcliffe. I'm CEO of the Better Buildings Partnership, uh, the Better Buildings Partnership collaboration of major UK property owners with about 250 billion assets under management. Um, and we help and support them in terms of improving the sustainability performance of their portfolios. 
Um, it's always difficult, isn't it? When you go last on these round robins, everybody's picked up everything. But I think what's really interesting is that each one of uh, the speakers so far has highlighted uh, a different reason why this uh, ESG has remained high on the agenda. Um, I think probably all I would do very briefly is to slightly echo those thoughts. Um, I think the first reason why that is, is there were lots of things that stopped during the pandemic, um, but the climate crisis didn't. And the science and the inexorable kind of environmental degradation that's uh, happening across our planet, um, although there were windows of opportunity where things slowed down, um, this, the science is still telling us um, that this is something that we really, really have to address. And there's an increasing awareness of that and urgency behind it, which means this has remained high on the agenda. I think the second reason, which is uh, what a number of people have already touched on in different ways, is that ESG is now seen as a commercial and a competitive issue. Um, and I think that's a very different kind of um, context um, in which the sector, um, the real estate sector, but business more generally is looking at this. It's no longer nice to have. It's a necessary part of business and it simply makes business sense. And when it does that, it becomes commercial and it becomes competitive. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and the third one really is just to echo that in terms of the different stakeholders that drive the real estate sector, um, I would probably highlight three as being particularly important um, and the indications that we have from them that this is actually high on their agenda. So Sunny's already mentioned, you know, the huge financial shift that we're seeing, um, which means that investment is being directed, if you like, in support of sustainable development generally um, and in different ways, different issues, whether it's climate change or diversity across the globe. So that's one important stakeholder. Second important stakeholder, occupiers. Um, so from the real estate sector, we know that the occupiers are the ones, the customers, uh, where, that we're trying to develop and uh, provide uh, the built environment to serve. And um, those customers are certainly beginning to grapple with um, uh, sustainability issues, albeit they might not be articulating that clearly in relation to their real estate portfolios. But I think that's certainly something that's beginning to kind of emerge. And then thirdly, uh, the third stakeholder, of course, that I would highlight is governance. Uh, sorry, government. And um, we have seen very recently in the UK, um, uh, the government's um, 10 point plan, it's, it's kind of commitment to a green industrial revolution. And I think going forward next year, we're going to see a lot of policies coming out of that. So in a way, the government kind of uh, is, is kind of um, backing up that it's kind of a like it or not. Um, uh, if the government has decided that this is going to be clearly a priority on its agenda, there will be policies coming through to support that. Um, so I think those are the sort of three main reasons for me why this is still hugely important um, uh, and high on the list of our sector's agenda. Fantastic. Thanks, Sarah. Sherry, you, you, do you want to add to that? Well, well, I, yes, I would if I, if I could. I think that last point is is an area, um, Sarah, where we've seen um, a significant push as well. And I think, you know, that's where where the climate and the the pandemic really, um, you know, connect um, on a level that, that we've seen is is around the job creation, um, because there are so many sectors that are going to really struggle. Uh, as we all know, unemployment is going in in a you know a very concerning direction um, as a result of some aspects of the pandemic. Um, the, the environmental um, and sustainability environment is where job growth is, is going to come. Um, and we're seeing that um, significantly through um, what we're doing with Hearts IQ Enterprise Zone. And, and, and that is also where we're seeing government pumping funding um, as that sort of priming um, through things like the Build Back Better uh, agenda and that sort of thing. So uh, I think absolutely government policy as a driver for this, as one of the stakeholders, as Sarah rightly, rightly highlights, um, we're, we're certainly seeing um, the government priming is helping with 
built environment um, and the built environment being um, really focused around clean growth um, now going forward, connected with skills and ensuring that there is that that sort of focus around uh, workforces for the future and making sure that employment can be boosted and, and this sector um, from a from a you know whether you know whether it's directly connected with real estate or whether it's the all of the other technologies um, and uh, approaches that, that are coming forward as part of the wider um, green and sustainability agenda that's where the job growth is going to come so the, the connection between sustainability and the, the pandemic sort of comes to a, a point um, in that respect from what we've seen. Excellent. Well, let, let's stick with that as a as a conversation point, because I think that is a, that is an unexpected tale, isn't it? That there are there are jobs to be um, created. And um, I know Sarah and I have spoken about this before, not just created, but um, sort of re reimagined um, to come out come out of the sort of the, the growth and the need for sustainability exp- expertise. Um, I wonder, um, Tor, if you have any views on the the sort of the skills and the the employment um, story there could be around um, this this um, growth in in ESG and sustainability. Thanks, um, Sam. I think it's I think it's a really interesting area, and I think you know we're seeing lots of intent for the government, um, but I think it's exciting to see as as Sarah touched on what will come next in terms of policy to to accelerate action and sort of what the the incentives and and penalties are I suppose for 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 not acting um I mean something that I feel really passionate about just linking back to the jobs point is making sure that our existing properties are fit for the future through through retrofitting um, you know, the majority of the buildings that will still be here, um, you know, in 2030 and beyond have already been built. So we need to concentrate on ensuring or ensuring that our current buildings are, are, are resilient for the future and energy efficient. So I think if the if the government can incentivize around that behaviour, which, of course, will also result in investment in the overall economy, and the jobs and skills that that we need to be able to retrofit all of our buildings, including our historic assets. I think it could be, you know, a win-win for both it, the environmental side, but also the social side and jobs as well. Fantastic, thanks, Sunny. Yeah, just just building on that, I think there is a kind of new skill set that's that's needed within the investment and asset management community when it comes to real estate because. In the past, well, traditionally ESG has tended to focus on uh, reporting on on performance that's happened. Um, you know, what what was your energy consumption or your carbon footprint or social initiatives over the last year, and making that and making that disclosure. And whilst that will continue, um, the kind of push to look at future risks and the clarity around kind of po- you know policy goals like net zero carbon out to twenty fifty. The development of climate science means that that and, and with the recommendations of the task force for climate related financial disclosure TCFD, there is a need to be forward looking. So under so for for investment and asset managers, there is a need to start to understand what those future scenarios might be, um, both from the point of view of you know climate physical climate risks, but also policy changes. And, and where to make the best decisions within their within their funds or portfolios, and some of that will be about retrofits, as as Tora said. Um, but uh, but I've also heard clients talking about disclosure because they they know uh, sorry not disclosure um, disposal of assets because they know the cost of transitioning um, to a net zero future is is too expensive. And whilst the Committee on Climate Change report yesterday came out. Uh, with, with a with a with a new message saying that we can affordably get to net zero carbon uh, by 2050, uh, which is good news. Uh, I think the reality is that that won't all be evenly distributed. So making those right investment decisions, particularly over the next 10 years, because we need to be more than halfway there to our net zero carbon target, um, making those decisions is really key to make sure that you get outperformance uh, in terms of the ESG funds. Fantastic, thanks, Sunny. Uh, David, over to you. Thanks. I was just going to um, mention on the back of what Sonny was saying about investment and, and asset managers that um, I think there's also a lot of work going on 
to understand that future risk outside of simply the physical risk of the asset. And, um, you know, we're, we're involved with piece of work with MSCI at the moment on, on climate value at risk or climate bar um, in relation to counterparty risk. And clearly that's something that has been estimated and uh, calculated and investment strategies adjusted accordingly in the in the equities sector and in other asset classes in the past and I think there's a move uh, amongst particularly the large institutional investors the kind of members of BBP that, that obviously Sarah's uh, leads um, that, that there's more to the risk profiling and understanding than just the physical risk of the building and the energy performance of it and actually looking at who are the tenants occupiers in your buildings what kind of sectors are they in what's the transition risk associated with where your income's coming from i think that kind of more substantive future uh, analysis of risks coming down the line in terms of of the income side um, are also having a big impact upon um, portfolio strategies because uh, if one is uh, genuinely of the view that we need to be at 1.5 then it's hard to make a portfolio consistent with that if you still have lots of your buildings let to oil and gas companies and mining companies and those who are clearly businesses who are not consistent with 1.5 at the moment so I think that that whole trend towards analyzing future risk is also um, changing behavior now today. Thanks, Thanks David. Sarah. Um, yeah, it's really just to say, you know, Sam, you and I have spoken about this before, which is that I think um, in terms of um, economic kind of activity, um, it's really great that um, we can identify the creation of new jobs as um, a real kind of opportunity. But also, I don't want to lose sight of the fact um, that there are already lots of people working in the real estate sector, and there's a huge task in terms of upskilling there. Um, and I think, you know, um, certainly the people that I've spoken to in the industry, um, this drive between ESG has almost given them a renewed energy um, in the posts and the kind of expertise, areas of expertise, if you like, that they already represent. Um, it's given them kind of a new sense of meaning to their existing tasks. So everything from valuation to agency, engineers, architects, property managers are actually really positively engaged when you talk to them about ESG issues. And it's an opportunity for them to upskill as well as um, creating new jobs. And I think the other thing I just wanted to highlight is that I think what ESG is telling us and what I've observed is that there are sets of traditional skills that will need to um, improve and develop as the ESG agenda uh, um, moves on. But we will also need to develop different types of skills. Uh, so in our fragmented sector, um, around these issues, around ESG issues, collaboration is becoming really, really critical because no one party is responsible for delivering this. Um, innovation, really, really important. So the skills to be able to innovate, to think of new solutions to what have really been quite long term challenges. Um, and then finally, um, you know, to touch a little bit on what David said, I think there's a skill there that needs to be developed around embracing transparency um, and also being able to negotiate risks uh, um, as well. So I think it's not only about creating jobs, it's about upskilling and developing new types of skills, all of which are really, really exciting and a, a huge opportunity for our sector. Couldn't agree more. And you use there um, the words renewed energy for people who are uh, are upskilling, and I think that's that's really important and and something we should dig into a little bit more because I think this idea that the the power that the real estate community can have in creating or making change, bringing about change, and the 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 energy that that brings to the sector cannot be un cannot be underestimated and and I wonder if that is is one of the, those drivers as well that is enabling um this to stay so so front and center of what we need to do is it part of the the transformation the evolution of of the real estate sector 
tour? Um, I think I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I I I couldn't agree more with with what Sarah was saying. Actually, particularly around um, you know transparency and collaboration. Actually, um, hot off the press are our net zero carbon announcement yesterday, which is part you know we're a we're a founding partner of BBP and um a part of the BBP climate change commitment to publish our pathway by the end of the year and the energy around that has been so brilliant and it's it, it's encouraged us all to do it and given us you know all the 25 I think it's about 25 companies that, that have signed up to the commitment um it's given us all the urgency to do it but it's given us it's ensured that we've been radically transparent about how we're going to get there, which I hope will just open up the conversation to so many more companies and just enc encourage that collaboration between everyone. Because, as Sarah said, the climate emergency is is not something that any one person or company can do on their own. So I think that's absolutely essential. Absolutely. That collaboration piece is so important, isn't it? I think um, Sarah's point about how ESG can be a motivational force, I think it, it is absolutely right. And I think it's because the ESG topics do tend to be topics that people feel are a just, just cause or a purpose for being that kind of goes beyond managing a property or developing a new property. And it can connect in a very personal way to, to, to people in different ways. It may be about protection of the environment or the oceans, but it could equally be about creating social value and strengthening community. Um, and I think that's why it touches people in a different way and, and, and renew and, and, and brings a renewed energy um, to the real estate sector. And that's why I think it will continue to build, build in momentum. Um, and uh, particularly at a time when, you know, lots of people are struggling with mental health, you know, we, we are all feeling disconnected. So if there is something, uh, you know, a higher purpose that we can unite around, I think I think that will only be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Sunny. Um, I couldn't um, agree more with that. And, and I think what has been really interesting over the last year is that in a sense, you know, uh, you know, the, the pandemic has obviously been hugely challenging in, in every different respect. And yet, you know, during that time, we have found individuals and organisations within our sector and indeed wider with a renewed sense of purpose um, and with a renewed sense of energy. Um, and just the response to the pandemic has demonstrated, you know, um, the power of our sector to, to really do everything from finding really practical solutions and innovating to being much more closely connected with communities um, and also, you know, seeing uh, challenges like the climate crisis actually begin to unite uh, people around a shared and common purpose. Um, so I couldn't agree more with with Sunny on that point. I think that the challenge is that our job as an industry is to translate um, those ambitions, um, those uh, principles, you know, into practice and really to double down and deliver that. Um, and as an industry, I think we're in a unique position to do that because the buildings, uh, the property, the real estate that that you know, we all work in is at the very, very heart of all these communities. Um, so, yeah, couldn't agree with Sunny more. Um, a renewed sense of purpose. Yeah, can I just come back on that momentarily? Um, at, at Evora at the moment, the, the management team have a book club and we're reading uh, Simon Sinek's uh, Infinite Game. And yesterday we were discussing that and we got onto the topic of how Cabri built a Bourneville for his workers um, to, to support their needs and, and to bring them together. But it got us thinking about what does that mean in, in our present state, given that we can't, you know, we don't need to build a village uh, where we all come together and we can't all be together physically. So what would it what would it look like if you built a town or a community now? Um, and how could that bring us together? And if you kind of reflect on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, Bourneville focused on the very physical ones of kind of shelter and food. But actually, we've got if we were to build a, a virtual one, virtual town now, that could be much more about a kind of belonging and self-actualization. 
And, you know, within Evora, ESG is core to our business. So it makes a lot of sense that that is a united theme. But it's just an interesting way to think about how things are changing. And it kind of reflects on how we might work going forwards. It's getting very deep, isn't it? I love this. Uh, I'm going to pass over to Sherry next. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be quite so deep <laughs> with where I'm coming from, but uh, you know, I, I think I think it's a really interesting um, range of perspectives coming out um, from from the panel today. But but actually, an awful lot of commonality of, of agreement um, in in the direction I was really going to just add to to extend that sort of view around that collaboration, and we're really seeing where organisations, um, you know, ordinarily are, are sort of folk functioning much more in, in isolation. What we're seeing um, in our area is a real collaboration between landowners, with, with, with local political stakeholders, developers and occupiers and community, all have finding a common purpose through this. So this really enhances, you know, and adds to what, what people have said about, about that collaborative approach. Um, we've got a, a, a garden, you know, it's less less real estate oriented, but we've got a garden garden town development uh, happening, and it's really bringing together that sense of community with development. Um, and um, you know, we, there's a big commercial element to it, which is is probably more relevant to, to the real estate agenda. But it's connecting that 20 minute town type thing as well, which again is about people commuting less, people having access to to jobs, yes, with less uh, jobs within their vicinity. Um, and the commercial um, environments that would sort of support those um, you know, more sustainable ways of working, more community oriented ways of working. Um, and, I, and I think the pandemic has um, you know, brought some of, some of those um, concepts uh, to, to the fore, fore as well. And it's where we've got new the opportunity for new development. Um, so one of our major landowners is the Crown Estate and they've um, you know, last week announced their their strive towards net zero by 2030. So it's really encouraging um, for those new developments um, and, and bringing in some of these community and sustainability concepts. But but also touching on some of the other points um, around retrofit of, of buildings, um, because you know in in 2050, 80% uh, of the buildings in 2050 will be ones that we have here today. Um, so, you know, it's not just about where we've got the new developments. It's absolutely, as, as people around the table have, have um, suggested, it's about that retrofit as well. And, and how do we ensure that all of this stock that we have today is, is fit for the purpose on, a, on a, um, an environmental perspective, as well as, uh, as, well as you know, having, having those sort of community access um, aspects uh, to it as well uh, to support new ways of working and, and the lifestyles that we as a community want to, um, want to be, uh, you know, fulfilling going forward. Mm. Hmm. Now, I, this has been so far a really um, positive and uplifting conversation. We've talked about, um, you know, the the strides forwards that we're taking, and to to lower the tone, as is a classic Sam McClary move. I'm going I'm going to try and um and see if we have any fears, I suppose, about um when and if life gets back to, to normal as vaccines get rolled out and we, you know, leave, leave our homes and start commuting again, start um, uh, utilising things more. Are, you, are any of you worried about real estate forgetting some of the lessons that, it, that, it's, that it's learned and as, uh, as too quickly going back to, to the old normal? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start that question with, with you, David. Um, yeah, I think there's always a, a level of concern about, um, you know, we're in a very weird time at the moment. Buildings aren't being used in the way that they normally are. Um, certainly in our managed portfolio, um, we're probably 30% occupancy rate. Um, the balance in the market between landlord and tenant is um, clearly uh, very much um, toward the toward the tenant at the moment with people reviewing how much space they need there's expected to be a lot more space going back onto the market um, in the next year or so a lot of the economic implications and results of the pandemic are certainly not played out yet um, and the impact that there will be on cities um, so yeah there is a there is a concern there I mean one has to be optimistic and hope that actually when we do um, start to see more people back in urban environments, that the, the ways of um, moving around transport infrastructure, mobility, prioritization of 
um, issues such as, as air quality and uh, wider environmental quality that those issues haven't uh, or don't get um, subsumed again into the busyness of people's day-to-day -day lives. Um, I, I think there's certainly a risk. I, I don't think we will go back to a general business environment um, which was the, which would be the same as it was before. Sonny, I'm going to come to, to you next on, on that very same question. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's not all rosy. And I, I don't think, I mean, whilst ESG is not going away, I do think that the momentum behind uh, action, for instance, the, the nature of biodiversity emergency is, is not, not nowhere near as close as what's happening on, on climate change or even on kind of um, the development of social value, uh, particularly outside of the public sector. And even for climate risk, I think, you know, in terms of real action, I think there is still a gap between um, perhaps sustainability teams within uh, investment and asset management firms and, and the investment decision making. And, you know, a lot of companies have made the commitment of a net zero carbon by 2050. I think, uh, you know, if, if they were honest, I think when they made that decision last year, they didn't necessarily know what that entailed or how to get there. Um, and I think that's definitely played out in terms of the, the there be many more limited companies that have set interim targets for 2050. And as I said before, you know, we need to be over halfway there by by 2030. Um, that's just happened for the UK, which is a very good sign. But I think it, the, the climate, um, the, the kind of action on net zero carbon could fall down um, when it when the reality hits the investment decision making in terms of what investments are possible. You know, a lot of companies are going through and looking at uh, understanding what technology or retrofits are required. And I think we will see a lot more retrofits. But there are measures that are still that still have longer longer paybacks that fall outside of an investment cycle uh, or two even. Um, and that does, that is going to need a different approach in terms of how those projects are financed. And I think ultimately whether that whether it sticks will be dependent on whether investors hold these companies to account uh, through you know the, the power that they can exert through voting rights or other forms of scrutiny. Thanks. Thanks, Sunny. Um, so in my in the first of these tales of the unexpected, when we came towards the end of the discussion, I asked uh, our panelists what their happily ever after would be, because if we're telling a tale, there always has to be a happily ever after, doesn't there? So, so I'm going to I'm going to use that here now and and ask each of you and I'm going to I'm going to start with Sarah as to, you know, what you'd like to see as the happily ever after. To, to come out of this situation for for real estate from an ESG perspective? Oh, thanks for that, Sam. I just started thinking about my answer to the last question. Oh, so You can quickly <laughs> drop it in if you want. No, that's fine. I can uh, sort of have a, have a brief kind of uh, go at that. I guess my kind of happily ever after, um, uh, there's one thing that I think um, is a, a kind of word that is misused in some respects. Um, my happily ever after would be that we uh, create um, a new kind of um, understanding around what value really means in society. Um, and my happily ever after would be that um, we truly understand what environmental and social value looks like. Um, and one of the reasons I say that um, is because one of my fears is actually about a just transition. Um, and um, I think that one of the really important things in my happily ever after is where the whole of society benefits from the changes that, that we see. Um, and I th think it can only do that if we begin to change our, our concepts uh, of, of what value actually means and essentially align all the different aspects of society with that, whether it's government, business um, or general, um, you know, uh, community and uh, society. So my happily ever after would be um, a, a different way of thinking about value um, that really shows respect for the environment and for um, uh, society and communities. 
I love that you mentioned respect there because that was also a happily ever after in um, episode one of this. So that's a, a really, really great word to to use. Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Sarah. Um, David, well, what would you like your happily ever after to be? Well, not yours personally, but, you know, for the industry. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I think I, I would um, echo everything really that, that Sarah said, but also from an industry perspective, um, I think it would be great to see um, uh, a fundamental shift in the perception of the social value that real estate as a sector brings to society. Because if you look through the experience of landlords um, uh, over this year, um, I think there's been a bit of a, I suppose, a, a harsh clarity exposed upon the way that government and view real estate um, and the fact that when you look at the natural prioritisation of, of the occupier over the needs of the landlord, to me that shows that society doesn't really, uh, and, and government to a large extent, doesn't really understand what real estate does for society and I think landlords must surely have drawn the conclusion from 2020 that they have not explained historically their role in society very well um, because they don't seem to have been listened to on really any of the policies throughout 2020 so I would like to see a much a much greater focus from the from the industry in terms of explaining the social value that comes from uh, real estate investment and asset management and the benefits it brings because I think at the moment it's viewed, viewed as private wealth and private goods and doesn't really benefit society very much so hopefully a positive that can come of this is that we get a lot better as a sector of, uh, in explaining the value of real estate to society um, and that would be a really great thing. Excellent thanks David. Sherry to, to you and your happily ever after. Yeah, interesting, interesting way to sort of put this as a, as a happily ever after. Um, I mean, I think so, the, the key um, area that, that I'd like to sort of focus on around that is that connecting of economic well-being of people um, with our environment. Um, and the more that I think you know, we can, you know, economically become um, leading from UK um in a variety and i'm going i am granted i am spending a little outside real estate directly but but it is you know clearly connected with um the places that we're building and and um, building positive places for people to live work um and to be able to have employment in um connected um connected disciplines the, the so that we all do feel that that sense of ownership responsibility and well-being um as a society um and i think there is a real opportunity um you know as we step forward and lead many of the you know some of these these concepts um you know around around change um and environmental sort of leadership but we we can do that um from the places that we create for people to work in um and the type of work that they are undertaking so that we have that that um, positive impact and people are able to sustain um, good jobs for, for the sort of economic well-being as well as the sort of social value side. Thank you. Thanks very much, Sherry. Sunny. Um, I'm going to cop out a little bit with that answer and say that I my happy ever after has already happened in the, in the 2008 recession. It was used by many companies to brush their sustainability, as it was known then, uh, their sustainability commitments under the carpet. And the, the, gas, the foot was definitely taken off the gas, uh, to use a poor analogy, given mm -hmm. uh, what we're talking about. But this time round, um, it's, it's definitely different. You know, when Sarah and her team at BBP pulled off the climate change commitment last year and got 25 uh, com in, uh, companies to sign up to net zero carbon, uh, with a very broad scope, that was an amazing coup. Uh, and the pandemic could have been an excuse not to continue at the same pace, but that's not been the case. And, you know, Grosvenor have announced their net zero carbon uh, commit, commitment and the pathway, but many other of those members have actually came out with very clear plans on what they're gonna do next. And that for me is re really reassuring when it could have easily gone a very different way. Thanks, Sunny. No excuses. I like that a lot. Uh, last but by no means least, Tor, over to you. 
Thank you very much, Sam. So I suppose two points from me. I think uh, the basic one is I'd like to see, you know, all the targets and goals translated into action. You know, I think this is our our decade of action to, um, you know, combat the the climate crisis. And then my second point was was actually just taking Sarah's point one step further and my sort of happily ever after is actually a, a, a I'd like a, a different way for businesses to understand success mm. you know a real you know can we get a shift away from success being purely financial growth and you know really understand it in terms of financial social and environmental and you know the contribution our sector and businesses can can have on the world and on society and and I also think that links quite nicely into David's point about showing the role that real estate has in society as well so I'll, I'll finish on that note I like that very much and I, I've been sort of scribbling away while you've all been um, telling us your happily ever afters and there's there's lots of repeated words in there which are around um, sort of value and um, and people and, and no excuses and and what I've written down is um, which I hope sums it up in some way is that you know maybe our happily ever after is that we look at value not as a number but as a as a as a feeling as an as an action as a as something that we have created and in in that hopefully something that we've protected as well which is I really hope this um very wonderful planet of ours um but thank you so much for that conversation with all things ESG. It is a conversation that can go off in so many different um, directions and could go on forever. But uh, but sadly, we um, do have to wrap up today's podcast, but there will be more. We will be back in 2021 with a load more of discussion around this really, really important, important topic. But for now, thank you so much to Tor, Sarah, David, Sherry and Sunny. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.